Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is Psalm 85. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Yahweh, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Salah, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Yahweh, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God Yahweh will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, Yahweh will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. Now what we see in this psalm of the sons of Korah, which is simply a reference to the descendants of a Levite named Korah from Numbers chapter 16, who didn't join in his rebellion, we don't know where in history this one falls. They are rejoicing on the one hand that the Lord has forgiven and restored his people, and then on the other hand, They recognize that they're in a dark spot again because of their sin, and they're praying that the Lord would forgive again. Now, when I say it that way, hopefully you can connect to it yourself already. This is us. This is what we do each and every day. We rejoice that Christ has forgiven us, and then we recognize that in this broken world, we are still broken. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with temptation. We still fall to the traps the world lays at our feet, and... We suffer in part because of that. We face the consequences of our sin, including even death. We die because we sin, but we also know the Lord has forgiven us from that, for that. He's restored us, and we get to live forever. So we see the both and. As saint and sinner today, we see that both and playing out in this text as well. The question becomes, what is the context in which they prayed this one? I don't know that we can say it for sure. The Lutheran Study Bible makes the suggestion that this is on the heels of the Babylonian exile. That would make this one of the latest psalms to be written. We don't know all their dating, but most of them written really in a couple hundred years around David or just after David. That would put this all the way more like 500 years later, closer to 500 B.C. Anyway, their idea is that God is restored his people. He's rescued them from their captivity in Babylon, brought them back to Jerusalem and Judah where they're allowed to rebuild, and Cyrus, king of Persia, is paying to rebuild the temple. And yet, oppression strikes again from various peoples, various enemies around them that don't want to see God's house rebuilt. And so this 
the suggestion, again, from our study Bible, is the idea that that becomes the indignation that they're feeling. They feel as though God has turned against them again. And in part, there's truth to that. The Lord rebukes them because they went back to the land, and what did they build first? They built their own homes, and they left God's house laying desolate. Took them 22 years, 23, something like that, after release from exile to finish the temple. I think we could look for other contexts as well, though. Even the Exodus itself, that God would bring his people out of Egypt and make them their own nation, and that as they enter the wilderness, then they worship that golden calf and, and Moses pleads to God on their behalf and the Lord forgives. He allows them to continue to be his people. He brings them into the promised land. Even though when they spied it out, they said, surely we can't take it. And they feared their enemies and they sought to stone Moses to death. There are lots of moments in Israel's history where they reject God, fight against God, rebel against him trusting in themselves rather than him. And I think this could fit with several of them. Restoring the fortunes of Jacob may not fit the Exodus very well, at least not in our mind. But Jacob was quite wealthy already when he went down to Egypt. So going from being one of the wealthier men in the world to being a slave to being given the promised land, I think that fits the context too. So it's hard to say necessarily but again, I think there's the commonality that even we can relate to this one. So the timing isn't all that relevant in that regard. In fact, as we look at verse 2, you forgave the iniquity of your people, you covered all their, your, their sins. Family conversation. When did God do this for us? How did God do this for us? And Hopefully that's an easy question for the kids to answer, right? Jesus, Good Friday. Christ on the cross forgave your sins and mine and the sons of Korah and Jacob and whoever. All sin of all time, Christ forgave on the cross. He withdrew his wrath. He turned his hot anger away from his people because he poured out that cup on his son. And this is good news for us. So here again, we have the sons of Korah thanking God for a time where he turned his anger away from them, but now feeling like they're back in it because they are back in sin. And so they ask these questions, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Anytime the scriptures ask a question, always good to offer those questions up to your children and let them respond to them. And here, the answer to these is, is no, he's not going to be angry with us forever. He will not prolong his anger to all generations. He is the God of our salvation. He has redeemed, he has rescued us in Christ. Thanks be to God. Also, though, we have to flip our answer for number six. Will you not revive us again? Yes, he will revive us again. You must be born again by water and the Spirit. So we talk about baptism with John chapter 3, the idea that by water and the word, the word connected to the water by the work of the Holy Spirit, 
you are baptized, you are adopted into God's house, into his family. And so as his people, we rejoice in him. Show us your steadfast love, O Yahweh. That's again that beautiful Hebrew word that is too complicated for English to consume in one phrase. Hesed. Steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, loyalty, lots of ways to translate it. This is who God is for us. And I think maybe agape, the Greek word of his unconditional love, might be really one of the best ways to think about it. Show that love to us, O Lord. Give us your salvation. And again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what God has done. He's done it for you. Let me hear what God, Yahweh, will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. So Jesus, after he raises from the dead, goes and appears to his apostles as they are locked in a house for fear of the Jews, and he says, Peace be with you. They have peace because we are reconciled to God. Peace is an end of war. It's it's the idea that there's no more fighting. And we have that now because our sins have been put to death on the cross. Let them not turn back to folly. A prayer that the Lord would deliver us from temptation, deliver us from evil. As we speak in the Lord's Prayer when we pray that to him. It isn't that we don't. It's not that we don't sin again, but it's that we trust in the Lord and we don't live in that sin. We live repentant lives. Even though we sin, even though we sin by thought, word, and deed still, we throw ourselves, all of us, at the foot of the cross, trusting in that forgiveness. And his salvation is near to those who fear him. You have it. It's yours in Christ, in Christ alone. And so his glory dwells in our land. That is, he dwells in us, right? The Spirit lives in us. Christ lives in us. And we look to him. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. We could try to look at these as a both and, like the bride of Christ kind of language, so God's steadfast love and our faithfulness come together. God's perfection, his righteousness, and the peace that we now have in him come together. But I think it's also faithful and good to simply look at all of these as being his gifts to us. He does all of this for us. He loves us unconditionally. He is faithful to his promises to us. He alone is righteous, and he makes that righteousness ours in Christ, and he gives us peace. These things are intimately connected. They go together. You cannot separate them. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. This is the picture of God caring for us. He's faithful. He provides, just as he said he would. And he says he will in Matthew 6, too. This isn't just an Old Testament Israel promise. God provides for his people. Yes, Yahweh will give what is good. Our land will yield its increase. In part, that is an Old Testament promise, because they are the holy nation of God. They had specific promises from God that were for them as a nation geographically. That as long as they were faithful to him, kept his commandments, this is Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, 
that he would continue to increase them in that land in which they lived. But again, we have Jesus also telling us that God will provide for us. And we know today that, yes, the Lord sends rain both on the, on the just and the unjust, on the good and the evil. Righteousness goes before him and make his footsteps away. God's path is just. God's path is righteous. And that righteousness, that path led him to the cross. That that righteousness might become ours in Christ. We are clothed in the robe of Christ's own righteousness. We are his. Thanks be to God. Praise me.